0: most of you have never preached before, you don't know what that's like, and preaching two services, that's really a stretch, I gotta reload my energy, my emotion, my, my thought train, I got my notes, but you know, it's really the Holy Spirit that downloads and gives us our words, and So anyway, I don't know how many are new and how many are old here, but you know, Pastor Matt, he is an awesome teacher. He, to me, I say, he teaches the heart of the Word of God. And I love it. And then Pastor David gets up here and he he teaches. And he teaches... The heart of God. This is kind of how I differentiate them. He teaches the heart of God. And he is awesome. Well, today you're stuck with me. (laughs) I'm an old preacher. Way back when I had one of my brothers come up to me and he said, Pastor Lowell? He said, Pastor Lowell? He said, that was really good. But can you tell me the difference between teaching and preaching? And I thought a minute and I said, I guess the main difference is volume. (laughs) I am a preacher. You will not go to sleep today, you will stay awake. I will preach. A teacher is line upon line upon line upon line going through the scriptures. That's what you want. A preacher's pulling out things, speaking to the heart. And that's what I want to do today. I want to speak to your heart. Don't receive this, but don't take it personally because I want to speak to the heart of every believer around the world I want to speak to the heart of the church every church and I believe in the spirit realm I can do that because God's there speaking to everybody I think we're all joined together hallelujah well, I started out the last time, and I'm kind of going to go there again. And it's uh... now a teacher. They, they, gotta, they, they run right down the rail on, on their notes. I mean, uh, they know what it is, and they're not going to deviate. I got somebody saying amen already. <laughs> By golly, that's what I like to hear. Preaching, how do I do this? I don't get overly excited about technique or form. Only the word and the power of the word of God as it's spoken out and how it hits the hearts of the listeners. But I started out last time, and I should probably start out every time this way. It it is an honor to present the scripture to his people. It's not only an honor, but it's also a responsibility. And that responsibility is found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And that says Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they shall keep a watch over your soul as those who will give an account. let them do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you this is telling me and it's telling every leader and okay I'm a little squeaky on this maybe I don't know but it's not just pastors a leader in the church is pastors and it's elders it's Sunday school teachers It's anybody who is speaking to people. They are responsible. They will be called to an accountability. That's kind of scary, but the other side of that coin is when you read the Word of God and study it thoroughly, you'll see that you're called to accountability too. That there's a rewards base that's going to come up. Um, We all go to the great white throne judgment. And because we're born again believers, we go, but, but we're judged. Our life is played out before us and and we're called to accountability and we receive rewards. Yeah, just read the word. The other thing that I like and think is chapter 6 in Hebrews. And that says... Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on into maturity. Maturity. <clears throat> now this kind of makes preaching difficult. Well, not really. But, but I say that because I don't know where you stand. There are some in here who might not be saved. There are some in here who are saved, but just beginners. There's some in here who have been walking with the Lord, saved, and and uh, carrying on life, and and they're pursuing God. And and uh, as I shared in the first service, I said it's kind of like flying. It's kind of like we've got people people who are sitting in the airport. Your planes, they're just sitting in the airport and, and they're not going anywhere. They don't know the Lord. And then we got planes that people that know the Lord and they're just taxiing down the runway. <laughs> and we got we got some believers that have been spent their whole life taxiing down the runway. They they haven't got off the ground yet. Hopefully, my words will inspire you. To get off the ground. Some believers are, are off the ground. And they're flying at, at an altitude. And, and uh, it's kind of. You know they're, they're cruising. They're like 20,000 feet. And you know things are going good. And then believers are at 35,000 feet. And they're really flying high with Jesus. And the neat thing there. When you're flying that high with Jesus. When you go into aeronautics. Is the higher you get the easier it is to fly. They fly high because they get better mileage out of their planes. As believers, if we fly higher, we'll get better mileage out of our works here on earth. What we're called to do. Oh, anyway. Does that resonate with anybody? You know, as a preacher, uh, an old-time preacher, as an old-time Pentecostal preacher, I I like feedback. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody know that word, hallelujah? Okay, well, that, we're getting there, Lord. We'll give him some time. We're getting there. I had that one little squirt back there that let out a nice squawk. That was a hallelujah and baby talk. That was hallelujah! Was that Maverick? That wasn't Maverick. It was Maverick. Well, three cheers from Maverick. You know, a lot of, uh, you know, I find, now, you know, I've been preaching, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been, a, I've been, a, I've am stuttering. I've been saved for about 45 years, and I've been preaching about 40 years, pastoring about 40 years, been in the kingdom about 40 years. And, um, yeah, that was good information, to you know. What was I going to say? Sometimes I get forgetful. You know, the older you get, the more forgetful you get. And sometimes God downloads something, a thought, something to preach, and all of a sudden, I get sidetracked and I forgot it. Well, anyway, that's what I kind of, I guess I was going to say, I'm kind of the old line of preachers. You know, today I I watch uh, O'Shane Edelman and uh, I watch Bill Johnson and I watch uh, Robert Morse and oh, I watch um, Bob, uh, what's his name out in California, down there in California. Uh, I don't really agree with a lot of his theology, but I like him. He's a tremendous brother in the Lord. It's just some days, you know, we can have theological differences, but as long as we all believe in Jesus, we're good. See, amen? amen. Oh, that's what I like to hear. Uh, anyway, uh, this guy, is he's about my age or maybe even a year older. and uh, He's just, boy, he's a cracking good preacher. Just tune him in when I think of his name, I'll tell it to you. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, I'm kind of the old line Pentecostal preacher that has a little more life to it. I'm, I'm a preacher, I'm not a teacher. These other people are more teachers. Anyway, we're talking about Ephesians today. That's where our assignment is. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. And let me read that to you, and a lot of you have maybe the little book, it's, in, it's the little blue book, and it's in uh, the English Standard Version, which is an excellent translation of the Bible. I read out of what's called the New American Standard, which is uh, an excellent version also. And um, so I'm just going to use my Bible, because I love my Bible, because... Uh, uh, My Bible speaks to me. And I I read somewhere that uh, you should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is God's mouth speaking to me. These words become life to me when I read the word. So I like... My word, And I stay with my word because it speaks to me. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. And when you come to that his might, Understand this, it's always the Holy Spirit. His might is the Holy Spirit that's reaching out to us. Verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Oh, boy, there's some powerful verses in that. Well, let's break this apart a little bit. Let's preach it out, Jesus. Lord, I just ask that you'd give me wisdom, understanding, Lord. Quicken my mind, my heart, to hear your voice as we go forward from here, Lord. Not to rely or think about first message, Lord. Not to think about notes, but God, to hear you speak the power of your Holy Ghost. And I thank you, Jesus. The church. It says, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith." of this church in Ephesus. Let's talk about this church in Ephesus a little bit. These, this, this letter was written by Paul when he was in prison in Rome. Now, Ephesus lies about 850 miles to the east of Rome. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm thinking oh my Lord, you mean the work of the Ephesian church Went 850 miles that Paul's hearing it in Rome. That's pretty powerful. But maybe more probably is in Paul's travels. Speaking to the churches. And he has seven churches. Ephesus and six more that he ministers to. That are spoken of in his letters. Probably the work of the Ephesus church. The church in Ephesus. uh, he, He heard about it. for this reason I too having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exist among you and your love for all the saints so what did he hear out of this church Ah, he just told us it was the love of the saints Ephesus the awesome book that it is talks it's It it focuses really on the love of the church in Ephesus and what they're doing for the community around them. If we go into the first century church and look at some of the dynamics and history, it is not what we see in Christians and believers of the church today, me included. That first century church uh, I can't really identify or explain or define it. But they were so sold out to Jesus. Maybe it was because Jesus was so historically close to where they lived. Within a hundred years, years we'll say. Ephesus was written in Ephes- Ephesians was written in approximately 65, 60 to 65 A.D. So Christ was crucified in approximately we'll say 30 A.D., and there's some slush in chrono- chronological order there. Actually, they keynoted it now that Christ was born in between 4 and 6 B.C., as we call it, and so then you give him 33 years, and you move up that about 29 A.D. was when he was crucified, and so then... Um, Uh, This letter was written approximately uh, 30 years later in about 60 A.D., and it's about these Ephesians and all of this love. They're known for their love. And and I've read other books, and a good book to read, if you so desire to read this gruesome type stuff, is called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And when you read that, you will find out that The power of Christ is not less today than it was 2,000 years ago. But it apparently touched people harder. Because I was reading of um, Polycarp uh, was a disciple of John the Apostle. And uh, Polycarp was uh, martyred in about... um, I want to say one eighty nine. That can't. Be. Anyway, Polycarp was he was eighty nine when he was martyred, and you know they they said uh, deny Christ and live, and and uh, Polycarp says I cannot deny the one who saved me, and they said well you're going to burn at a stake, and they started bringing rope, and he said you yeah, I you don't need to rope me to the stake. I'll, cl- I'll gladly stand here for my Christ, my Jesus. And so he did. And they lit the fire. And they watched as he raised hands in worship as he burned to death. Whew. Then there was another one, and I can't think of who. But the guard held him, and when they, um, our kids here, decapitated him, The guard was so moved by this believer's faith that he confessed Christ on the spot and stood on the block and was martyred also. This first century love working through Ephesus in the Ephesians, which we're called on to let work through us today, today, us at Blessed Hope. You know, I, I have this thing that kind of grates me because so many people say, the church, the church, the church should do this, the church should do this, the church done that, the church done that. And I'm thinking, we're the church? Don't say the church should do this. You stand up and lead the way to get it done. You stand up and do it. You stand up and apologize for what the church did if they hurt somebody. You stand in the gap in that situation. I am preaching maybe to where you don't live spiritually. I might be preaching to where you're not spiritually mature enough to say, Oh, me? It might be, so to speak, over your head. I'm sorry. We're called to grow up in Christ. Ah. This church at Ephesus and how love. Let's see. Where am I at here in my notes? The church's love in 15. Your love for all the saints. I was in the New Testament. I want to get out of here by... uh... 1130 for sure. I was reading in the New Testament. I was reading in 1 John and talking about love. And I was trying to get a handle on it. And, you know, and I, I've read all this here. There's agape love and there's phileo love and, and how this all plays together. And I, Well, how does that look? Here, it's real simple. And, and my whole preaching, teaching, thinking is, is the KISS principle. Keep it simple, silly. Love is respect. Respect your neighbor. Respect who you are ever with. Love is doing good where you can do good to those around you. That's how you show love. It's nothing fancy that you have to do. It's just come into the grocery line and you're here and you're here and they're here and you say, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead of me. Love you know, my love, my coffee at Ellinger's usually costs me two bucks because I pay it ahead for somebody. I get a kick out of it. You know, that's just, who's going to capitalize? I, had, I got it given to me here a while back. Your coffee's been paid for. You know, that just kind of made my whole morning. I'd, that is so neat. Somebody did that. Love. So, this church at Ephesus, just overflowing with love. We overflow with love. Faith in action. Have you been involved in our faith in action? Every year, we have a Big project, takes about three days where we reach into the community, we get projects donated, so to speak, to us, and then we reach out and we paint people's porches, we put in windows, we've mowed lawns, we've done gardens, we've done love things for our community. We're trying to be like the church at Ephesus. And I think we are in a large extent. I hear other things that are done in love through Blessed Hope. Love, so simple. Speaking kind to people is love. Verse 16, Paul says, Do not cease, he says, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Intercessory prayer. There's a big thing, too. I'm just going to kind of jump on that. What is intercessory prayer? You know, we can pray. What we call petitional prayer. A lot of people call it grocery list prayer. Okay, that's good. Nothing against it. I'm for it. Do it, do it, do it, do it. But take it to the next step. Pray for the persecuted church around the world. Remember the old 1040 window from some years ago we talked about, and that block of countries that were in the 10 and 40 latitudes or longitudes, which I guess it's longitudes, and they're the per- Pakistan, uh, uh, India, uh, Iran, Iraq, all of those countries. Pr- pray for them. Pray for our brothers. They are our brothers and sisters. Those believers are not dislocated from us. Think of them as, that's my brother. That's my sister. The Taliban's going to my brothers and to my sister's house. And they're pulling them out. And they're checking their cell phones. And if they have any Christian stuff on their cell phones, they're taking them out and shooting them. That's a fact. That's going on. In Iraq, in Iraq. I guess that's the one I wanted to say. That's where the Afghanistan, Iraq, Afghanistan, Afghanistan is what I want to say. The Taliban. Intercessory prayer. It's not fancy, it could be just as simple as uh, giving up a meal and praying. Or when you pray for your meal, pray for your persecuted brothers and sisters and the persecuted nations around the world. See, a problem in our American church, and here I, and I, I kind of, I have a heart to know what's going on in, in the church around the world and in the church in America and what's happening. And it's really discouraging, but I, I really feel that that's part of my ministry with the call of my Lord But uh, as as, as I started to say, I guess, is when you pray for your meal, pray for your persecuted brothers. Pray that they have enough to eat. Father, I give thanks for the food before me. Now I lift up my brothers and sisters in those persecuted nations. Bless them that they can find food for their meal today. It has to become personal and that's what I started to say. The church in America, everybody passes it off to the church, as I started to say. They blame it on the church, the church. The church ends up being nondescript, nobody knows. Uh, it's just a name of some sort, you know. It can carry a Blessed Hope or a Harvest 365 or a First Christian. and It really doesn't mean anything until we start personalizing it. We, you, me, we start doing some stuff. And this is what the Ephesian church was doing. They were stepping out of the box and they were doing stuff. Paul was interceding. We're called to intercede. Take the heart of intercession. We have a first Sunday prayer meeting here. Uh, David's here. David said, sometimes I'm here. I'm the only one here. Verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, here's where our problem kind of is. <clears throat> we don't have that knowledge, that revelation, that knowledge of him, a revelation, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge... We don't have a knowledge of Christ. We don't have the depth of the knowledge of Christ in us. I'm saved. Whoo! great. I'm saved. And there we kind of quit. No, it's supposed to go deeper. Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. See, we, we have a lot of churches, and here I, again, I go to the church around America, and it's getting so superficial, it 's a you know we got these mega churches i 'm not going to say anything against mega churches, however, they lose the personal touch. The more the people in the body of believers, the less the personal touch of the body of believers. It just is kind of a fact it just when I had a small church of ten people, we were together. When we had a church of fifty people, we were together when we got to be a hundred people. You start littler groups and you start losing touch. And these mega churches, they preach the word. I'm not going to say that, but they lose the, the personal push. Make no mistake about it. Today I'm pushing you. That's my goal is to push you. I want to push you off from dead center. I want to push you down the runway. I want to push you into flight. I want to push you so that you're, you're flying at that height, so that you are coming to understand what are the riches of glory that we as believers have in us. You know them Pentecostals, and they preach that name it and claim it message and that prosperity and that there and there, this, that. Have you ever heard that? That, That's that's not a a love that's coming out. But that's a lot of churches, a lot of people. But you know what? If you study the Word of God, you will find God giving prosperity over and over and over and over again. I'll bet a thousand times you can find His people prospering. And you get prosperity through obedience. You see, the church today uh, <clears throat> lo, how do you go? I haven't ever really backed off too much in my preaching. They say, "You can be a little on un- how do I say it?" You know kind of what I'm talking about? (laughs) They allow anybody in the pulpit. And that's not to be. I'm sorry. They've gotten so liberal. I'm sorry. God's word. I'm kind of leaving my notes here. You know, in the 80s, I was uh, preaching in this small church up in Fayette and and, uh, in the late 80's, General Motors uh, one of their best car sales the the 88 Buick was a very popular car and the very popular color for that car was gray and and if you probably go back today and see these old cars you're going to find the color gray I like gray. I guess my car is kinda gray. But we have a lot of gray Christians. You see, gray is neither black nor white. If I'm gray, I'm kinda like, it's neutral. It'll go with anything. God does not have gray. God is black or white. You are either saved or you're not saved. You're either obedient or you're disobedient. Boy, that's hard, Jesus. I don't want to say that. Because I know I got people here that are being offended by your word coming through my preaching. But I'm sorry. That accountability factor, that judgment seat of Christ—what we're all going to stand before—we need to get fair and square with the Lord and understand He has no gray. A lot neutral is another one. I'm going to take my car out of drive and I'm going to put it in neutral. I'm going to be a neutral Christian. I'm just going to coast a little bit. God doesn't have coasting either. I'm sorry. God doesn't have reverse either. He's only got drive. Straightforward. Drive. The surpa- again, the surpassing greatness. How great. I think of... Um, what is heaven going to be like? Now, some of them. Probably some have a fear of dying. I don't. I can't really wait to go. I'm not really looking forward to going home, but going home is going to be just one glorious thing. What is heaven going to be like? What is going to be the splendor of my Christ when I see him, when I stand next to him, and he holds out his arms to hug me, and I can see the nails and the spear, and I can say, my Jesus, my Jesus, my Jesus, What is the depth of the revelation that God is waiting to pour out on his church, his people, pour out on you? It's an inheritance. It's for the saints. The the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. It's there for us. We need to grab it. And again, I think I said it already, but in the strength of his might, the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's really simple when we teach the Bible. In the Old Testament over here, God basically does everything in the natural. There's some spiritual influence. The Holy Spirit is sent out for an assignment for projects or jobs, and that's it. In the New Testament, God works in the Holy Spirit. Jesus came, he paid the price, he died, he went to heaven, he he went to the cross, he went to heaven. And as he left in John 17, Jesus says, I'm going away that I can send you the comforter. And he's going to teach you, he's going to guide you, he's going to be a witness to you, he's going to correct you. He's the bearer of truth. So when I live in the New Testament, and you're with me, you're in the New Testament. When I'm in the New Testament, I'm thinking the Holy Spirit of truth is in me. He's wanting to do things in me. But I need to become obedient. I need to open my ears. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Amen. Amen. You're preaching pretty good, dear Fink. Thank you. Anyway, uh, God wants to raise us up. But we as believers, the church walks at such a low level. Why? Why? I don't know, but why? It should not be that way. It goes on, well, back up here. Verse 21, it talks about far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in every age to come. God's talking about the demonic realm here. He's talking about the spirits and spiritual warfare. Paul's talking about that. Did I say God? I meant Paul's writing that. He's giving us a heads up to beware of this. He hits it again over here in chapter 6. In chapter 6 he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness, in heavenly places. Paul writes about these spiritual forces. In Colossians. In Ephesians. And he writes about it somewhere else too. And I can't think of that book. But he often writes about these spiritual forces. And it's always the demonic warfare. The demonical world that he's talking about. But it goes on to say that. Christ put everything in under our feet. As the church. So, we're victorious. But we don't know it. I want to go on. Not much longer. But I need to go on and say, this letter of Ephesians, and I alluded it to earlier, it was written in about, what did I just say, between 60 and 65 A.D. The... Apostle John wrote a letter also in roughly 90 to 95 AD. And uh you know it's interesting and Pastor David said that Ephesians is a circular letter. It went to different churches, like seven different churches or six different churches. And uh I've always studied this out and I found those fixed six different churches. And they're it, uh, Ephesus, there's Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatria, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Have you ever heard those churches mentioned before? I just said it, alluded to it a little bit. John, the disciple, the apostle, wrote Revelation in like 95, between 90 and 95 AD. These seven churches are listed as the seven churches of Revelation. And the first one that's mentioned is Ephesians. And I'm studying my word of God, and and I'm saying, Lord Jesus, how can the Ephesian church in 30 years go from a star to a fallen star? It says in Ephesians, if you don't repent, I'm going to pull you out and throw you out. That is scary. In just 30 years, all of the hope and the shine that Paul put on it, how he lofted them up. And he didn't loft them up, but he just spoke the truth on how they were. And now, what happened? I don't know. But where are they at? What was their problem? The Bible says, you left your first Love. This church that loved the saints and that was known for its love of the saints and to the saints, quit loving. Jesus said in Revelations, you're neither hot nor cold. But if you were hot or cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I didn't quite phrase that right, but we're called to be hot. Hot. Or if we're cold, if we're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. That's what I didn't. That's what it was. You see, if we're hot, we know where everybody stands. If we're cold, we know where everybody stands. But lukewarm is kind of like the color gray, or standing in neutral. And Jesus says, "I'm going to spit you out of my mouth." We have a challenge today as a church. We have a challenge today as believers to wake up, die right, as we used to say when I was growing up. Wake up and die right. We've got a challenge to us as individuals. We've got a challenge to our church, our individual churches. We've got a challenge around the world because we're under a spiritual attack by these demonic forces. If I could preach Ephesians 6, 12, and the verses in there, I could share a whole bunch about the spiritual world and the battle that's going on in the heavenlies. And I want to call it short. And the heavenlies, there's three heavenlies between me and you, the heavenlies where God lives, and then the stratosphere between our our heavens, our, our strat- atmosphere and up where God is. And it's in that second heavens that the battle goes on. It's a good study if you go there. But anyway, I want to move on. Jesus said to the church, repent or I'll remove your lampstand. And then he says, he who has an ear... Hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Okay, I want you to hear release and relief right now. Here's how I live my spiritual life. I share it with you as a possibility. Maybe you want to use it. I only live in 24 hours. Paul told me, he said, Leaving my past behind. I have a horrid past. I move onward and upward to the call of Christ. I'm sorry, but I get a touch of the Holy Ghost and my emotions sometimes can't handle it. Paul says, I'm moving forward. I'm moving onward. I'm moving upward. Jesus said. Every day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. So I know that there are problems. Some are sitting with health issues, financial issues. You're sitting with all kinds of issues that are overcoming you. I don't want to diminish that. But we still need to gather our thought train gather ourselves together our our personality can be fragmented almost live for today live in today i throughout my day reflect on my day i review how i'm acting when i come on third street up to 218 that's a big reflection time for me if somebody's I laughed because they never get going and I sit there and I say why didn't you go I could have made it they were way back did you have to see who was going by and then I Lord their schedule their life is more important than mine I have no I really don't have anything pressuring me it's just I want, I think, I understand, Jesus, we're working on my self control and my peace, and my patience rather. So, but, so, and I think of others, I think when I don't talk courteous to people, when I breeze them off, I don't respect them uh, for whatever reason. And there's always something different with somebody that I could pick on. I mean, look at Brent there. His cowboy boots aren't near as nice as mine. Well, maybe they are. I don't know. <laughs> but see, it's so easy. We can get caught up. And our culture leads us this way. We've got to get into the Christ mindset for this 24 hours so we're out of the culture mindset that is every day, all day long, that wants to lead us wherever we don't want to go. And so I reflect on where I'm at and how I'm acting. And then I refocus. I take control of them thoughts. I identify them. I take control. I bring them in under obedience. And when the need is there and it's always there, I repent. Repentance is something that I don't think a lot of Christians have a handle on. And maybe really... They repented to get saved. And after that, I think a lot of Christians kind of quit repenting. Repenting is turning from what you're looking at and turning to look straight at God. Repentance isn't turning from uh, Bob and Marilyn over there and going this way. Not that they're bad or anything like that. They're good people. But it's turning from them or from whatever, turning to God. And how do I do that sometimes? By turning into the Word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So I have to turn to God. Confess and repent. And then I recommit to Jesus. When you get into this, like I'm sharing, I'm recommitting to Jesus maybe two or three times a day depends on how my day goes (laughs) sometimes more often I recommit to Jesus and my walk in the kingdom now see this these verses in Ephesians this inheritance in Christ Jesus I I don't have a complete handle on but I'm kinda getting there and this is what I know I'm a child of the king I can stand up there proudly. Now this isn't my flesh that you're seeing. This is just me and my relationship with God. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Jesus, 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 thank you for saving me. I get so personal, I don't even really care about you guys. I just focus on me. He saved me! I don't know where you're at with him. Oh, I feel so good today. I know the bill's bigger than I thought it was going to be, but I do feel good today. I can rise up, I can write the check, I can pay the bill, I can work out the problem, we can have a conflict, well, a conflict... Conflicts aren't necessarily bad. It's an opportunity to confront and to work it out. And lastly, and I just demonstrated it, I rejoice in my salvation. You know, I want to get out of here. This is kind of a selfish thing, but I have my cousin speaking at Harvest 365, and I want to catch the end of it. But I rejoice in my salvation because uh, 45 years ago, when I was 32, I got saved. I'm not going to go into my whole thing, but I was a bad guy. I did a lot of things. And all of a sudden, I saw Jesus. No, no, I saw Jesus. I had what we call an open vision. And as clear as I could see any one of you, I saw Jesus. I'll take it one step further. I was teaching at um, Timothy Lutheran in Council Bluffs, Iowa, Missouri Lutheran. It's Easter morning, I'm teaching a Sunday school class, of high schoolers, about 20 kids, and it's Easter, and I said, Christ is alive, is Christ alive in your life? And I pointed up in the air, and they, we had a beautiful relationship, they were enwrapped enra- enra- with, with my teaching, and the bell rang. Back up. I pointed up, I had this vision of Jesus the bell rang and they all ran out and I saw Jesus I looked into his eyes and the next thing I know I was standing there looking somehow I was looking through his eyes and Jesus arm was pointed down and I could see right down his arm I could see into Timothy Luther and the church it was like a schematic or a a pattern or a blueprint I could see every room I could see the basement over here, our kids' room, and I could see me. And I was standing with my arm pointed up. And I realized that I didn't have Christ alive in my life. He had never resurrected, and I was going to hell. And I spent about 30 days before the Lord spoke to me again. And it was when I touched the Bible that I had read from cover to cover. I went to church all my life. I was raised in a church. Every Sunday we went. When it was open on Wednesday nights, we went. But nothing clicked. But that day, I touched the Bible, and the Lord spoke, and he said, My son did it all. And I realized that when I received Jesus as my personal Savior, I am home free. Hallelujah. Now there might be somebody here that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Savior. And if you would like to meet him, I would invite you to come up. And the rest of you, I release. Amen. But if you want to stay, this is kind of a solemn moment. You see, the Spirit of God is moving. He might be speaking to your heart right now. If you would like prayer, please feel free to come up. If you feel...